Today I'm reading from 1 Samuel 21 and preaching from this account. Begin reading in verse 10 and read to the end of the chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 21, beginning with verse 10. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come to my house The story of David and Goliath is well known. We like to turn there to learn about the faith of this young man as he faced a giant. His faith in God's promises led him to go out to battle against him. He trusted that the Lord would deliver him. Lesser known is this account that the very same David goes and hides, hides from his enemies in the very city where the giant Goliath was born and to deflect any interest or to promote the, uh, his hiding, he pretends to be crazy, so crazy that he slobbers all over himself. It's lesser known because we tend to turn to those passages where we see faith being demonstrated so clearly, and our eyes almost turn away from something like this in aversion because of David's fear and of his failings. As I've been preaching about Samuel, or preaching through 1 Samuel, we've been just working through the life of David, and we found that that David's faith and his fear are all mixed together and more recently we've been we've been focusing on his fear and how that led him into really more and more disastrous decisions and this chapter is no difference David's fear leads him to flee from his enemy king Saul and his decisions become worse and worse, it seems like. And yet, as he looks back on this occurrence, he almost evaluates himself in, in a way that draws attention to a proper response to his fears. He wrote two psalms about this, this occasion. Psalm 34, that we've already, already sung, 
and Psalm 56, which we'll go on to sing. And in it, he says this. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Well, at this point in David's life, his fear overwhelms him, and he loses sight of God and of his promises. And his response is one that is very human, because we all face fears that overwhelm us. And so I want you to learn early in life. I want you to learn that in Jesus Christ that you too can, can sing as David did. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. I'll begin by looking at and explaining David's flight to Gath. And then look at some of the lessons that we learn of how fear turns us away and clouds our vision. David fled from Saul. He was afraid for his life, and the king was hot on his trail. He started off by trying to pin David to the wall with a spear so that David had to run away to save his life. He thought he was safe in his home, but Saul sent soldiers there to get him. He ran to, Saul, to Samuel, and Saul pursued him there. Saul even blew up at his own son, Jonathan. Jonathan, who came and, and was advocating for David, and Saul tried to throw his spear at his own son. And so David then fled to the tabernacle, to the priest Ahimelech. And his flight finally led him to take refuge in Philistine territory. And of all places, in the city of this great enemy, the giant Goliath, he went to his hometown. This really makes you scratch your head and try to get into David's mind. What was he thinking here? Why did he choose Gath? And there's some speculation that, uh, that goes back and forth just trying to understand this. Some have suggested that maybe David reasoned this. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. I am now, I'm now despised by King Saul. So maybe the, maybe the Philistines will take me in and provide me a place where I can hide from Saul. But that didn't go too well either. If that was his thinking, it, it blew apart almost immediately. Because as David comes into town, he was recognized by, by those who lived there. Maybe even family members of Goliath. Maybe some who were there when David fought and killed the hero of Gath. And as soon as they recognized him, they were like, no, 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 wait, 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 just a minute here. And they went to the king of Gath, King Achish, and they said, isn't this, isn't this David? The one who is the king of Israel, and, and it's interesting that they knew about this. They knew that Saul was reigning king, but David had been anointed. They, they were understanding the significance of this. And they say, isn't this the one that, that we've heard songs of? Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. 
ten thousands of us. This is the one that has been whipping us every time we come against them. This is the one that God, their God is raised up to defeat us. And in bringing this to the attention of the king, the threat is very clear. They recognize David as enemy number one. And in recognizing him, it's implied that they recognize the opportunity that this presented. David is in our grasps. He's right here. We can get rid of him. Oh, yeah, yeah, he may be, he, he's fallen out with King Saul, but don't, don't trust that. Let's get rid of him. Verse 12 then says, now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Remember I said that David wrote psalms about this occasion. It seems, for reasons I'm going to go into, that those psalms come later. Because this is the, this is the history book. This is the account of what was happening here. And they provide probably the clearest commentary about where David is right now. He was very much afraid. Very much afraid. And the assessment helps us to understand what happens next. He acted like he was insane. And he describes it here, of doing things that a sane person would never do. He went and he started to scratch on the door to the, the city, on the gates there, with spit and drool slobbering down over his chin and into his beard and all over him. Does that sound like a mighty warrior that you should be afraid of? It doesn't, does it? It sounds like a feeble man, someone that has is no danger or no threat whatsoever. And that was David's intent. Achish is going to grab me. He's going to kill me. So I have to make it look like I'm no threat at all. And what can I do? Well, if I'm crazy then maybe I can escape with my life. So he puts on this act. As I mentioned, these aren't the only words about David. As we've seen, David's faith is mixed up with fear. And it may be feeble, but there is faith that runs through all of this story, even though it is clouded by his fear and his rash decisions at this point. As I mentioned in Psalm 34 and 56, he expresses where that faith comes through. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Well, that's not where he is right now, is it? When he's afraid, he's afraid. And he makes decisions that are rash. And the end result of David's pretended madness is that he did deceive King Achish. The king of Gath believed the act, and he saw no threat in David. 
why are you bringing this man to me? It's clear he's crazy. He's mad, I tell you. I've got enough madmen around me. Just, just look. look. <laughs> it's kind of a humorous uh, saying there. <laughs> I don't need one more madman around me. I've got you. It's as if he were saying, he's no threat to me. He's no use to me. Take him away. One commentator draws this conclusion. David's actions are a commentary on his state of mind. His actions are a commentary on his state of mind. He was afraid. So what do you do when you're afraid? Well, you, you begin to take actions that are crazy, that, that lose sight of a God who is almighty, a God who had delivered David from the lion, the bear, the giant, and yet now as his life is threatened and his fear overcomes him and overwhelms him, He's reduced to taking things into his own hands. And the best that he can come up with is to be left with drool coming down over his beard, acting the crazy man. He's starting to look more and more like Saul than the young man, David, who acted in faith. coupled with the previous verses in this chapter where David lied to the priest Ahimelech, these few short verses give us an opportunity just to pause and to seek to be instructed about our own faith, to listen to warnings about fear and flight from David. And it's going to lead us by the hand to David's conclusion as he looks back on the matter. The conclusion, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you, which will lead us to the foot of Jesus. So let's think about the warnings from David's fear and his flight. The first warning is that even genuine Christians will struggle with fear and doubts. Even genuine Christians will struggle with this. To be more direct, even you will struggle with these things. Remember, this is David that we're talking about. Remember the resounding words that he cried out to, to Goliath. You come at me with sword and spear, but I come in the name of the Lord. And he ran towards the giants to fight against him, confident in the Lord. He's the one that... Uh, that, that God speaks of, uh, this is a man after my own heart. But now David's fear takes center stage in his life. He was afraid of Achish. He was afraid of Saul. And he has run from one refuge to the next to the next, trying to find out where he might hide, and ends up as a crazy man. His fear obscures his grasp of the God who has promised 
the God who had raised him up to be a king, who had even given him signs to this effect by his anointing, by the deliverances that he had given over and over again. But his fear does overshadow his faith. And he makes rash decisions, even unbelieving decisions, leading to some rather dark destinations. If this is true of David, it is true for us as well. That in this life, there are many things that cause us to struggle with fear and with doubt. God has not promised to make us free from every trouble. And when that happens, it is, it is common for us to become afraid. Afraid even to, to, to begin to take matters into our own hands, to make decisions that we think are best, that have nothing to do with how how God has promised or his instruction on how to live in the midst of those fears, which leads to a second warning that any believer can fall into grievous sin. Even genuine Christians struggle with fear and even genuine Christians can fall into grievous sin. We believe that the Lord holds on to his sheep, to his children. We believe that the Lord will cause true believers to persevere all the way to the end, but that doesn't mean you will never sin. And if you think that's the case, you, uh, you're dishonest about your life. You're dishonest about the, the depth of, of our of our sin and of our need of a savior. And it doesn't, our, our belief in the perseverance of the saints also doesn't mean that a saint might even commit gut-wrenchingly awful sin. Be careful here, we don't want to grade sins uh, and think that little sins aren't so bad. Sins, whether big or small, are, are, are bad. But think of David here. Think of him later in his life, another famous occurrence of David's life, of his sin with Bathsheba, his taking another man's wife, of killing that man so that he could have her. How could this happen? How could, it, how could it happen so fast, seemingly? David goes from boldly professing faith and, uh, and acknowledged by God to be a man after his own heart to acting like a madman, to be a crazy man, running and hiding in fear, running and hiding his own sin, even the sins of adultery and murder. Unless you think this is an isolated event, think of other heroes of the faith. Think of Peter, who denied knowing his, his Savior, his friend, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. 
In the New Testament, Peter warns about Satan who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's an occasion for fear, isn't it? And for failure. But Paul calls you to be watchful, to put on the armor of God, to stand fast in this evil age. It's not a message of uh, health, wealth, and prosperity that he's speaking of. He's talking about a real enemy and standing and fighting in the midst of that battle. And the Apostle John warns believers against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Even genuine Christians will struggle with fear and doubts. Even genuine Christians will fall into sin. And as a summary of these first two warnings, go and read 1 Corinthians 10, 12, where Paul says, be careful if you think you stand, lest you fall. Be careful if you think you stand, lest you fall. Two warnings about the effects of fear. Fear tends to blot out God's word from your decision-making process. Fear tends to blot out God's word. Later, David does write about this. I've called attention to it a couple of times. Let me point out Psalm 34. I hope that later today you'll go back and read both of these, Psalm 34 and 56. And in reading them, uh, you'll hear David's conclusion to this matter as God brings him through to the other side of this uh, very real, fearful circumstance that he is in. And in it, you'll find David speaking about, in Psalm 34, about, about seeking the Lord, about tasting and seeing that he is good, about crying out to him and how he brings deliverance to us. And we're not seeing that right now in David and the historical account. Instead, we we find that that fear overwhelming him. And we can identify with that because so often that's where we are. And we may even take stock of where we are right now. And maybe this message is prompting you to take stock of where you are right now. And you can say, I'm... I'm where David is. I've been reduced by my fear to to be slobbering over myself in my desperate attempts to work my own way out of this. But David, as he looks back, can evaluate himself. And say, when I cried out, God answered and delivered. He sent his angel to camp around me. That's what he says in Psalm 34. His perspective of looking back, he he looks at his fears and 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 his doubts and he says, don't do what I did. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Those who trust in him are blessed. 
He invites you to fear the Lord and to, to know that the eyes of the Lord are indeed upon all of his children, that his ears are open to their cry. And he closes by saying this in Psalm 34, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the, the Lord delivers all of them. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who put trust in him shall be condemned. So he looks back and he can see, I was brokenhearted. I was crushed in my spirit. And he can imply that his fear had not taken into account God. In fact, in the history of the situation, it's as if he was nurturing that fear rather than nurturing his faith. That's where the role of the word of God comes in, to remind you of God's goodness, to remind you that that the Lord does deliver all those who come to him. He reminds you that though your sins be as scarlet, they are as white as snow in Jesus Christ. And you can trust that. The next application is that acting on fear has real consequences. It leads to more and more difficult positions and more and more tragic consequences. My sermon on the earlier verses, I pointed out how David put Ahimelech in danger by his lies. Deadly danger. Ahimelech is and the fellow priests are, are, are slaughtered, literally, by, by King Saul. And that happened because of David's lie. And in similar ways, you may reason that it would be better for you to take a certain course of action without any regard to anyone else, without any regard to the morality of what you are doing, without any regard as to thinking, is this right in God's eyes? So think about some of the shortcuts you might take. My marriage is in shambles. I'll find comfort in someone else's arms. That's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah. I'll find comfort. My parents are heavy-handed. Fooey on them. I don't need to pay attention to them, or run away, either literally or figuratively. I'll stomp my feet and throw a fit and get my own way. Someone said hateful, hurtful things about me. I'll get back at them by upping the hateful, hurtful things I say about them. You may be successful in the short run, 
or you may think yourself successful in the short, short run. But you'll find in time that you're slobbering down your chin. The consequences of those decisions that rise up out of fear have hurtful and horrible consequences. It may be hard to stand there and say, I was wrong. I sinned against you. And I I beg your forgiveness and God's forgiveness. I understand that that what I did created uh, uh, havoc in my family or in my company. I've been found out rather than hide that out of fear, repent and ask God to deliver you from your sin and then work through the consequences that follow after it. The last that I'll say about this and the lesson that we have is that there's forgiveness in Christ. If we were left with David here, this would be a tragic tale. But we're not. Because we do have a Savior that is greater than us. We have a Savior who understands our weakness, as I read in Hebrews. And he understands it because he's actually gone through the same fearful things that we do. In fact, he's gone through worse. Hebrews says that he understands this. He understands the terror that you're going through right now. He understands the thought process of what might happen if if your sin comes to light. He understands what that fear is. And he still loves you and gave himself for you and mediates for you. This is what is so sweet about David's conclusion that comes through in Psalm 56. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Uh, Oh, that we would see this in David in 1 Samuel 21. Uh, I take that back. Isn't it more humanly real to have David in the depths of his fear. Because that's where where we are, isn't it? We don't ride the heights of faith all throughout our life without any dip in that. Always victorious, always full of faith, always trusting the Lord in every single terrible thing that happens. No, we are more often finding ourselves like David, 
running in fear. And God sustaining our faith through Christ so often. And so David, as he, I, I believe, looks back on this very fearful circumstance, comes to this conclusion. Let me read some words from Psalm 56. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. And God, I will praise his word. And God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? And then speaking to God, he says, you number my wanderings. You put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding on me, O God. I will re render praises to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before the Lord in the light of the living? You will all face fears in this life. You may even be overwhelmed by doubts. You may fall into grievous sin. In the midst of those fears and in those failings, it's easy to lose sight of God's presence. It's easy to begin to make decisions cut off from the word of God, from the people of God, from his worship, from God himself. Separating yourself from his presence, his grace, his almighty power, his gospel. If you do, the direction of your life will tend to spiral down, as David's is at this point, into more fear, into more focus upon yourself. And so learn early to look to Jesus. Learn early to look to Jesus, who has faced these fears as well. Believe it when the Bible says that he understands your suffering and your weakness. He understands what you are going through because he has gone through it too. And like with David, he knows when you have messed up, putting it nicely. He knows when you are running away. He knows when you have sinned against others and sinned against him. And he knows when you're over in the corner with drool dribbling down your chin. Our confidence is that he loves you in Christ, that the Lord will deliver you and calls you to himself where there is forgiveness and restoration. So learn early the lesson that it seems that David learned the hard way. Teach this to yourself. Teach it to your children. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Amen. Let's pray.
Lord God, forgive us for letting fear have its day. Forgive us for even nurturing those thoughts and giving room for them. Instead, help us to learn early that you are to be trusted, that the fears of this life are ones that you have faced, that we have a mediator who understands these things, and we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. But Lord, the weakness of our faith is so often on display. Forgive us for our unbelief. Pray, O oh God, that you would be teaching us, even in our trials, that there is reason for those, that you have ordered these things for our benefit and for your glory, that we may grow and that you may produce in us hope and proven character. Lord, our faith is feeble, but our Savior is strong. And so, Lord, we pray that we would learn to look to Christ, to come to that throne of grace to help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing Psalm 56. Let's sing this profession of faith that David gives to us to sing as well. It's divided into two portions. We'll sing the first one, the A selection now, and later the B. Be merciful to me, O God, for man has hounded me. That's the way it begins. Psalm 56a, please stand to sing. 